Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is vaccinating the supply chain with my friend, Andrew Kelly. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Joe. Thank you so much. It's always nice to have Andrew on my podcast. He's a very knowledgeable guy, and today he's going to talk to us about vaccinating the supply chain. And before we get into that, Andrew, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. So Andrew Kelly here. I am currently at BoxLock, which is a security and visibility solution. I've spent seven years in supply chain and logistics. I'm really passionate about the sector from the fleet management to what's happening in terms of new SaaS companies that are coming on to the market for visibility and things like that. And so just happy to be here and to share what little knowledge I have. No, little knowledge. Just, you're, you're being too too modest. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school, and what you did prior to joining BoxLock. Oh, sure. So, I grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland. So, about an hour outside of D.C. in farm country. It was kind of like Abe Lincoln reading encyclopedias because the school I graduated in had like 80 kids. In my graduating class from high school, it was tiny, but I was able to get into some decent engineering schools and kind of flip that into business school. And so I am kind of really fortunate to have a, like a really good sort of, you know, academic background based on people helping me all along the way. And so, you know, NC State, MIT and Harvard Business School. And before I was at BoxLock, I spent some time just consulting to private equity firms and to founders on how to scale up their go to market or kind of what to buy in supply chain. And before that, I spent some time at a fleet management company. Nice, nice. You've got the background for sure. And, you know, I said you're one of those dual threat guys, a business guy who's a technologist. (laughs) (laughs) Barely, barely. So, you know, we're actually hiring for a front end developer right now. And I figured, okay, what better way to hire or lure a front end developer than to put a little bit of Java code out there on my LinkedIn post with a couple of obvious like coding no-nos in it to see if that would like, you know, attract some bees to the honey, you know? And so I know just enough to be dangerous, <laughs> you know? You know, but that's the thing is though, when you go to like NC State for engineering, then you go to MIT, that guy's looking at that and going, you know what? He's probably right. I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like to think that my superpower is knowing what I don't know so that I can there help other go. people that have that superpower or that towering strength in that deficiency that I have in order to kind of, you know, be better. Yeah, there was a vice president that many, uh, at Chrysler that many of us worked for, vice president of engineering. And I always remember he said, I don't know everything, but I know the people who do know everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Build that network of like superheroes <laughs> around you, you know? Exactly. So, Andrew, today's topic is vaccinating the supply chain. And we're going to talk in today, you know, in general about pharma and healthcare and biotech and research and all the, the challenges they have with logistics and supply chain and a little bit about the development. And I know we'll touch a little bit on the specifics because this coronavirus vaccines that they're starting to roll out here are pretty timely for all of us are pretty topical. So, Talk a little bit about the challenges of this vaccine and getting it out to the people. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that this vaccine has been 
pulled together in record time in about 10 months, where the typical blockbuster drug takes 10 years and $2.7 billion to kind of bring to market through three different rounds of FDA approvals. And so there have been a lot of people all across the planet sort of selflessly sharing research and knowledge on RNA and sort of other molecules in order to figure out like what could potentially be effective. And so right now, I think there are at least three potential candidates, one from Pfizer and BioNTech, one from Moderna, and then Oxford, AstraZeneca. I think they have yet a third. And this is independent of other vaccines that are being produced in Russia and China. I'm really just talking about the U.S. And so, you know, one of the challenges is just having the vaccine in and of itself, right? You know, as we're thinking about Black Friday that's coming up, it's nowhere near the criticality, but even for Black Friday, you know, there are going to be things in short supply. Everybody in supply chain has seen this year after year after year in terms of sort of, you know, product constraints that leads to sort of a downstream hurry up and wait or expedite process in the actual logistics. It's just that the vaccine is at a different level because it's applicable to the entire population as opposed to the latest electronic gadget who maybe early adopters want, right? Or the right. cool toy that like, you know, maybe some kids want or the latest gaming platform that maybe, you know, high-end gamers want, you know? Right, exactly. And I think, you know, when we were talking about this offline, you know, we got this vaccine, maybe uh, multiple versions of it in 10 months. And as you said, sometimes it could take as long as 10 years. There's vaccines, we, there's some certain diseases that we still don't have vaccines for. So it was really an incredible effort to mobilize the right people, <laughs> the right resources and get this done. And kudos for all those people. But <laughs> here's the big but. That was difficult. Just as daunting, though, is getting this stuff to market. When I say get to market, I mean getting into everybody's arm around the country and around the world. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, the CDC, you know, here in the U.S., you know, thankfully is sort of our probably best focal point for vaccine distribution because, you know, obviously, you know, they've been tracking influenza like year over year. And in the past, things like SARS or other things that have the potential to escalate. Fortunately for us, nothing up until this year has driven a need as drastic as COVID has and boy, has it ever, right? And so from a distribution perspective, I think that the CDC has got the potential to kind of set the guardrails, but private industry obviously is moving really, really rapidly. And the yeah. good news is, is, you know, we've got a lot of smart people in private industry at Pfizer, at Moderna, at some of the logistics supply chain folks. So, you know, your FedEx's, UPS's, DHL's on the logistics side. And then for some of the vaccine that's being produced, it has to be kept at ultra low temperatures, which is a little bit unusual. And so in the regular way logistics business, right, where we talk about reefers or refrigerated trailers in transportation for things like poultry or dairy or fruit, Right. You know, we're talking about things that maybe have to be kept frozen, right? <laughs> right. You know, things that maybe have to be kept at a uh, low temperature, right? Because you don't really want to freeze strawberries, but you might want to freeze your chicken quarters, right? Yeah. But for these vaccines, some of them have to be, specifically, the Pfizer one has to be kept at negative 70 degrees. And so there's a bit of a tolerance. And so some of the freezers that you may see on 60 Minutes or in other articles, you may see them set at negative 80 degrees Celsius for a little bit of a factor for whether or not you know, that freezer opens and that drops temperature a little bit so that you know, the vaccine can stay mostly around negative 70 plus or minus. And that's just different. Right. And, you know, for us to get flu shots on an annual basis, that flu shot has the ability to withstand temperature swings that are much greater than at least the Pfizer vaccine, where it is 
likely to lack or lose potency if it's left at ambient temperature for so long. And so, you know, one of the things that is going to happen is that there are going to be sort of micro inventory locations sort of around these freezers. And for people that are listening, so the freezer I'm talking about, it's about as big as a fridge in your kitchen or the deep freeze that you may have in your garage, right? And so unlikely that one human can pick it up by themselves. It's a pretty you know, large enclosure. And the vaccine inside is sort of the skew, if you will. And so depending upon the type of vaccine, it may be administered once or more likely than not twice for full efficacy, right? Or effectiveness, you know, in the human that it's being administered to. So there's an initial shot, then uh, three to four weeks later, there's a second shot, right? And so these freezers are going to be around for a long, long time. Now, thankfully, Thermo Fisher Scientific, PHC Biomed, there are freezer or ultra-low freezer manufacturers that have been in business for decades that make tens of thousands of freezers a year. Some of these freezers already exist out in the wild. And by wild, I mean at biotech labs, right. um, at healthcare providers, at research labs. For the general population, what's most important from a supply chain distribution perspective is that we have these labs in the right places so we can get as much of the population tested. For frontline workers, you know, it's going to be hospitals, right? Because that's where the communities are coming to that, like right now, may be suffering from COVID. And then you know, later on, you know, hopefully once we get our hands around this and we get more of the vaccine administrated, those hospitals are still going to be a focal point for the vaccine micro inventory. And so that's a little bit of color in yep. terms of some of the challenges around some of the different vaccine inventory points and distribution. Yep. So you talked a little bit about these, some of the challenges. So the first one you mentioned, I think you touched on this ultra low. So just, yeah. had, just because it it has to be staying at this ultra low temperature. It has to have these specialized freezers. That's a big challenge. Talk about the distribution challenge. I know that's the big one. Yeah. So, you know, one of the just, you know, very simple challenges is you've got vaccine that's being produced at one location that needs to get to 300 million people, you know, in the country. And I'm being a little bit loose with one location, but you know, it's, it's not many. <laughs> yeah. It's a very few locations, you know, I think rightly so like the specifics of exactly where is being sort of tightly controlled for obvious reasons. And then just think about the population centers in the U S like roughly it's on the coast, right? It's at NFL cities. And so I think the first order of business Does Detroit count. <laughs> I'm in Detroit area. And I mean, I like to think the Lions are considered an NFL team. <laughs> yes, yes, Detroit counts. And I'm not discounting the rural areas at all. I'm just sort of talking about like how supply chains generally, you know, get set up. And so it's driven by population centers. And so finding a safe way that is a focal point in that population center or that community that you can get as many people as possible access to the vaccine. Of course, you know, as I talk to people that are directors or VPs of operations at different hospitals and labs and clinics, the first order of business, they have to just protect their people, right? Because, you know, unfortunately, we've lost a number of doctors and nurses to the virus already, right? And, you know, there are people like right now that are like running active campaigns to get more people interested in nursing because we need more frontline workers. 
right? Because that's the point of care. And so as we're looking to distribute to those hospitals where those nurses and doctors are protecting their communities, like that's going to be the first. And then moving, if you're thinking sort of concentric circles, so the next circle out is going to be the community. And then you just keep, you know, going out and out and out until hopefully, you know, at some point we've got enough of this vaccine administered in order to like really get our hands around the spread of the protection from COVID-19, right? And so the sheer choke point from a distribution perspective is the fact that there are only so many vehicles. And back to these freezers. So for the vaccines that need to be kept at ultra-low freezers or ultra-low temperatures, these freezers, they can go on a truck or in an airplane. But you're not going to put one of these in the back of your car, right, or the back of your minivan. They're bigger than that. And so it's a freight capacity challenge to make sure the freezers are in the right place at the right time as we move outside of manufacturing into communities. Yep. And Andrew, you know, I had read that Pfizer had created some separate units for, I mean, I think they created internally that that would go inside those large freezers so they could manage this, keeping it the right temperature. Yeah. And so I think they may be using dry ice, right, as a a way to maybe kind of like double down in certain circumstances, because Of course, like lots of these clinics and healthcare providers are going to have backup generators and maybe even backups to the backups, right? But like, you know, having dry ice or liquid nitrogen or some other coolant on hand, for whatever reason, there's a choke point where all the freezers can't be powered or extra generators need to be brought in because the freezers are consuming more power because maybe the hospital in question has five of these freezers, but the community needs 15 in order to have enough vaccine on hand in order to administer dosage, right? So those are the kinds of supply chain capacity choke points that need to be sorted out as the vaccine moves from manufacturer to distribution and ultimately to patient population. Yep. And we already have kind of a capacity problem right now during the pandemic. And also, I mean, we're, we're coming into the holiday season, we're close to Black Friday. So we're going to already have capacity issues and the usual holiday rush And from what I understand, a lot of the supply chain providers, logistics and transportation will just push this vaccine movement to the top of the line, front of the line. Is that correct? Yeah. So that's what I'm hearing as well. Right. Because, of course, you know, we all want to have as normal a holiday season as is possible in a COVID environment. But, you know, I think saving lives takes precedent over the next gaming platform or the next it toy or the next kind of Don't tell the gamers, man. <laughs> I know I'm probably creating enemies, but you know <laughs> hopefully, you know, we can kind of all take this within some perspective. Yep. So we talked a little bit about the challenges. So the one kind of the first one I think is this temperature. When you have to keep it as cold as it has to be, you need specialized equipment. Then the second problem you talked about is just the distribution. It's going from very few points to lots of points. And that challenge is is a large one. So what's another challenge that these companies or the supply chain has as we bring this to market? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I think is going to start manifesting itself is compliance or audit logs, right? So I think the first order of business is get one human a dosage, right? And then how do you keep track of that, right? So in the wild today, I think that, you know, most of these freezers and in general for vaccines, a lot of times there's a notebook that's kept beside the freezer, right? Or a clipboard or something like that, right? There's one director of operations I was talking to, and in his hospital, he's got five different freezers. And in general, it's very difficult for him to know what's happening 
at a freezer on a particular floor. That's number one. And number two, the scarcity of vaccine makes inventory tracking multiple times more important than it ever was, right? Because in general, things like Band-Aids and syringes, like those things that are kind of, you know, normal consumables, right? They're not tracked particularly well because they're relatively low value and there's a lot of them, right? But the vaccine is the opposite of that, right? There is not much of it. And the value in terms of sort of what it can do in order to kind of bring normalcy back, to maybe bring the economy back, to kind of bring travel back, right? Fill in the blank on the things that can be brought back, right? Things that we did in 2019 that we were just not doing in 2020, right? Andrew, I got a question on that. So when you say these freezers, so this hospital that you described, they have five different freezers that will contain this coronavirus vaccine. Mm -hmm. Do they lock those? Today, they don't. Now, they are lockable. Right. And they could like put a, like a master lock on it with a key. Their challenge is they have pre COVID, they've chosen not to lock them because they didn't have anything as sort of vital as the COVID vaccine. Now, though, of course, because of the scarcity of the vaccine and because their desire to protect their people is going to be really high and, you know, things have changed a little bit, they're considering locking their freezers. And so most of these freezers are lockable either directly because there's sort of a hoop or a hasp or something that allows for a lock to physically go on it or by using sort of the equivalent of like a bicycle chain. So, you know, imagine a bicycle chain that can go around like a French door freezers, you know, the kind that have sort of two doors right. open side by side, depending on the manufacturer or the OEM of the freezer, like the French doors versus kind of, you know, one pull, it's a little bit different. But yes, uh, these are lockable. The reason, obviously, I know that at some hospitals, they have to lock up, I think you mentioned offline, like fentanyl and some other drugs like that, that are be, have street value or can potentially be dangerous, obviously. Now, this, this is just because of the whole scarcity of it, but also it would seem to me given the importance of this, that they would want to have some sort of security or lock on those. Because first off, my going in assumption about everything in the United States is 2% of the population or about 7 million are crazy. And so you don't want crazy people getting in and in touching things they're not supposed to touch or stealing or tampering with. You know, because I feel like we already have enough silly anti-vax discussions. All you need is some crackpot to get in and touch something, either deliberately tampering with it or just accidentally doing something that makes the vaccine less effective, taking it out, putting it back in, and now it's no longer effective. That's a real challenge. Yeah. If you get 300 million of anything, there's going to be potential problems. Yeah. And even, you know, the accidental leaving open of a freezer door. Right. Because, you know, it didn't close properly or something is kind of not settled and nestled into the freezer properly. Right. And it's let's say, you know, it goes from minus 80 to closer to ambient temperature and you lose that sort of micro inventory of vaccine. Well, that would be really, really unfortunate on just multiple different levels. Right. And making sure that there are controls in place that we can tie ultra low temperature to an audit log of who had access and when is important, right? And so, you know, we're starting to think about, you know, how can we marry our security with temperature so that you kind of have a, you know, a holistic picture? And that's where this is headed, right? I think that from a pharma and biotech perspective overall, being able to accommodate whatever temperature bands, whatever temperature excursions are required for maximum, whether it's vaccine or biologic or medication efficacy, like whatever 
is going to improve the human condition, right? I think it's incumbent upon folks in the supply chain to think about how to support those researchers who are doing primary research in order to kind of make all of our lives better and to have this not be a conversation, right? right when we get right. to the point where this is not a conversation, then I think that that's success. Yep. So, Andrew, we'll talk more about that one. I know that's that's a solution that you guys provide over at BoxLab. But let's talk just in general about these problems and what are the solutions to them. So yeah. when we talk about this problem with distribution, what is the solution to that problem? Yeah, so I think on the distribution side, it's planning, right? And so it's as mundane as that sounds, right? It's planning and it's capacity planning specifically. And so, you know, you mentioned that from a capacity perspective, things were already tight. So this summer... Uh, capacity was tight. The holiday season is making the capacity tighter. And then all those e-commerce, everyone's buying online too. I mean, e-commerce is blown up. So it's really taxed the supply chain in ways it's never been taxed before. That's exactly right. And so because of that, there's less capacity out there. Now, fortunately, some of that capacity, it's okay for it not to be or for it to be taxed relative to the vaccine because the vaccine that we're talking about, at least the ultra low temperature ones, the other capacity like parcel capacity or letter capacity, that is not relevant to the vaccine. Right. right. Yeah. So we're talking yeah. about truckload capacity. We're talking about the capacity to kind of move things between hospitals, biotech labs, etc. Right. Different kind of capacity, but still there's a specialized. Yeah, exactly. So there's only three and a half million or so class eight trucks or big rigs in the U.S. And of those, you know, only a fraction of them are going to be relevant for what we're talking about here. And so it's that capacity where capacity planning, I think, is going to be the best we can do in order to understand from upstream sort of the origin of the vaccine to those first hospitals, probably at the larger population centers so that the vaccine can get to as many people as possible. And so capacity planning, I think, is going to be the sort of unsexy, you know, not fancy kind of blocking and tackling. Yeah, exactly. Good old blocking and tackling that's going to help with the distribution capacity challenge we're facing right now. Right. Right. So, you know, this is a very specialized supply chain that's moving this stuff, of course. And I think also it is going to be moved to the front of the line. I think there's already agreement across. I read an article where all the companies that are moving this are saying, yeah, not a problem. It'll go ahead of Tickle Me Elmo or whatever new toy. Not, not that they'd even be moving that, most likely. Yeah, right. And so, you know, just like in logistics today, emergency response exemptions are quite common, right? So when there's a hurricane in the southeast or a fire in the west, whether it's, you know, hours of service exemptions for emergencies, well, this is an emergency that is national. Right. Because, you know, we don't get hurricanes in every state of the union. We don't get fires at the scale that we see in the West in every state of the union. But we are seeing this pandemic in every state of the union at a scale that natural disasters don't occur in this country. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know that it's even separate, but this the idea of temperature, I guess it's very closely related to just the capacity issue. We have those units that keep this vaccine cold. It's just getting them in the right spot. Right. That's right. And so the good news is some of these freezers are already in the wild today, right? Because ultra low temperature freezers have been around for a long time, right? And so some of them are already in the field today. It's how many more need to be at the right places 
at the right time in order to smooth out the lumps in the supply chain. Right. So I have a question about, so this is a large freezer, like you might see in somebody's basement if they're a hunter or, you know, have a lot of bought a side of beef or something. They're real big freezers. Now, when, let's just say I was going to pick up this vaccine, is this on pallets or how does this move into trucks? Yeah. So if anyone had seen like the uh, 60 Minutes episode where Pfizer had multiple of these different vaccines in the back of trucks or in the back of cargo planes, you know, there's uh, so Thermo Fisher Scientific makes these freezers. I think PHC Biomed makes them and they probably make, you know, tens of thousands of these per year. Right. And so I think that to ultimately end up at a hospital, it's going to arrive there by truck. Right. And so it's probably going the freezer itself is probably going to be on the back of a dry van. And the freezer dimensions, I guess, from a floor perspective, are about the same as two pallets. So if you had a couple of pallets side by side, that's about the length and width of the freezers that we're talking about here in terms of overall dimensions. So the extra drive, put them, move them in dry vans, you think? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about that last challenge. And again, I know this is the one that your company can help solve this idea of audit logs and security and visibility for this vaccine. Yeah. So making sure that there is a log of what vaccine went to what patient or even more importantly than that, moving back upstream to who even opened the freezer, whether a vaccine was taken out or not. Right. So making sure that the freezer stays closed for as much as possible, right? So you can kind of audit. If you've got a lock on it, right, how many times is that freezer open per day or per week? And then who specifically is opening that freezer, right? Or if you step it back for just a second, describe your lock. I know about it, so, uh, but it, oh, please yeah, describe yeah. Well, oh, sure. a box yeah. lock looks like. <laughs> yeah, so for those who haven't heard about box locks, so basically it's a lock that has a barcode scanner on the bottom that also has connectivity via Wi-Fi or cellular, depending upon what level of connectivity is available. And so in a healthcare context, having that connectivity so that you know when a barcode is presented to the lock to open that lock, you can attach that barcode, which quite literally could be on an employee's badge or it could be on a, a traveling nurse's cell phone, for example. Like that barcode... Get a piece of paper too? Of course, right? So it could be printed on a piece of paper. Now, that's not terribly secure because no. <laughs> that could be photocopied, right? So we wouldn't recommend that. But, you know, in a pinch, if somebody, let's say, for whatever reason, lost their badge and one couldn't be remade quickly, of course, you know, the bar could be printed out. But the bottom line is a barcode can serve as a digital key to open our lock, which can provide audit logs that the operations personnel at that provider or at that biotech can then use to have a greater level of visibility and security over their vaccine freezer. That's actual real-time visibility as opposed to the, you know, this is also, I got to think, a challenge for, you know, I I could go over if it's just regular log and I could say I'm Andrew Kelly and I take that vaccine out. Now, again, I don't know that there's a lot of advantage for me to do that. Or I could scribble it and somebody go, I can't read what this says. Somebody took out some vaccine and I don't know who it was. Yeah. And so, you know, relative to clipboards or journals that are beside freezers in the wild today, there's legibility challenges. There's visibility across multiple different floors or departments. And, you know, healthcare has consolidated a lot in the last couple of decades. And so now there are larger and larger providers in general. And so 
visibility in one building is good, visibility across all of your buildings is better, right? And so at the administrative level at a hospital, sort of the C-suite in a hospital, your ability to do a look back in the prior week and understand how effective have you been at delivering vaccine to your frontline workers and to your community that you serve as a provider in your particular state. That's the sort of next level executive visibility that I think administrators are looking for. Yeah, it would, it would seem to me that if this is as valuable as it is, that I would want to be able to say, um, how many doses of the vaccine left freezers in my facility, you know, across these five refrigerators? And then how many people, and tell me what people actually got those. So if I say, hey, it looks like 800 doses came out of the refrigerators today, I only see 790 actually administered. Where's those other 10? Are they sitting on it? <laughs> Are they warming up, right? What's going on with those? Yeah. And that's even more important. I'm glad you brought that up because the vaccine in some cases requires two doses. And so getting that first dose administered to the population is one thing, but some of these vaccines are going to require a second dose, right? Or at least the ones from Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna require two doses, right? And so that means that there's going to be tracking of the first administration of the dose and then the second as well. And so there is a need to understand what happened the first time the patient came in and what happened the second time? Because I'm certain that you're going to want a Pfizer dose one and Pfizer dose two and not mix up Pfizer dose one with Moderna dose two or Moderna dose one and then Pfizer dose two just to make sure that the administration of the vaccine is controlled as well as can be so that people get the dosage required and the timing required and the supply chain is not mucking that up. Right. So, Andrew, it makes sense. I think all of us who are used to the digital world, (laughs) that's all of us, we all want that notification from your system saying, yeah, I got it. So talk a little bit also about, I know this is not related necessarily to the vaccine, but talk about unintended deliveries of medicine right now. Unintended deliveries. Could you expand on that just a little bit? So I think a lot of people don't want to necessarily have contact with people that they don't work with. Got it. Yeah. So unattended deliveries. Yes. So one of the things that clearly could be done is you could have a security guard like sitting at each of these freezers like all the time. Right. With that. (laughs) A little expensive. Maybe. Right. But like you said, one is a little expensive. And two, particularly now, if we can reduce, you know, people clusters or reduce the number of people that are having to kind of interact with each other, at least, you know, while COVID is running rampant, our solution allows for unattended non-manned deliveries and pickups, right? And so we already do this today for labs with specimen collections, right? Where, you know, either the nurse or someone who is at the lab box for a particular clinic, you know, they don't have to go out and sort of do a person-to-person transfer of whether it's a COVID test or blood samples or a vials, bags, you know, what have you, right? And so, you know, barcode can be presented to the lock to allow for that unattended 
pickup or unattended delivery, whichever part of the logistics travel that you're on. And so, you know, that's been a benefit that the folks that we talk to in healthcare appreciate because obviously, you know, they're very focused on people wearing their masks because on the front lines, they're telling these horror stories about people dying alone without their families because the families can't get into the hospital because they're trying to reduce the number of people that are kind of clustered together. Right. And so, and Andrew, also, if I was the guy who was delivering the vaccine (laughs) and I get to, let's just say I'm working within the hospital and I put it in a refrigerator or let's just say it came out of the truck, it's received in the building, but it's not necessarily put in the freezer. Just because I did, once I do scan, it's the same record, just as if somebody was taking something out. And again, that's the real time visibility that you want as opposed to, Joe, did you fill up the freezers? Yeah, I did. Well, I, I can see a clear record that you did or, you know, take your word for it. Yeah. And, and I, of course, have the utmost trust and respect for you, Joe, but even you can have a bad day, you know? Right. Well, again, it's Andrew, the mistakes happen, but also yeah. just the idea that with something this important, which all medicine's important, but the idea that it can't be tampered with, that there's a chain of custody. Anytime you're talking about medicine or food, we want to be able to talk about that chain of custody, that it was never left somewhere where it could be tampered with or interfered with by the temperature or bugs or rats or, you know, again, crazy people. Exactly. Right. And so we're doing a very small part in helping secure, you know, just one of the areas in chain of custody in the healthcare space. And we're happy to do it. Right. I'll tell you, it's a solution that's time has come. I know you also do these same solutions for homes. I know it's not it's not the biggest part of your business, but it always occurs to me that when somebody says, I delivered that to the house and it was an unattended delivery, do I really know it was there? Right. If somebody has to scan a box on my porch and drop it in, now I have positive validation that you had actually that box was open and most likely they put a package in. Oh, for sure. Right. So, you know, we've got thousands of box locks protecting porches from porch pirates, you know, stepping up our game on the enterprise side in healthcare and manufacturing. Asset security and visibility is at the core of what we do. Right. And so if we can play a small part for supply chain, chain of custody, security and visibility for healthcare providers, for biotech labs, for uh, clinics, for people that are on the front line who need a contactless solution plus an audit log for a chain of custody or sort of a better system of record than paper, then those are the kinds of conversations we want to be having in order to help our friends in healthcare out. Yeah, this is, you know, this is one of those things. As soon as you see it, you go, yeah, this is going to happen. This is just, it's going to be one day a few hospitals have it, then the next you're going to say it becomes the best practices. You have to have a solution like this because in the real-time visibility, the security, the audit log, it's all so. Yeah. And so, you know, we actually have a case study that I think I just posted a short form of that to LinkedIn. You know, we are working with a lab out in Oregon who is already being onboarded. Right. And so I think they're the poster child for audit logs and what we can do. You know, their name is Interpath Laboratory and they are already reaping the benefits of what I've been talking about here. And I think that, you know, as they tell the story of operational efficiency, that's going to resonate with others. Yep. Excellent. So, Andrew, I know we get talked a little bit about BoxLock, but tell us a little more and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Sure. So, 
BoxLock was founded in 2017. We are very focused on the enterprise and healthcare and manufacturing in particular. You know, in the U.S., healthcare takes the form of labs mainly. Manufacturing takes the form of MRO or maintenance repair and operations distribution mainly. And folks are looking for audit logs or unattended deliveries or inventory management as some of the different use cases for our technology. And basically, using a barcode as a digital key with a lock that provides those solutions for those use cases is really what we're all about. We're growing pretty rapidly. I've got another sales development rep that's starting next week. At the top of the call, I mentioned we're looking for a front-end developer. And, you know, we are kind of doing really well here in Q4 and looking to, you know, continue that growth into Q1 of next year. Excellent. Excellent. And Andrew, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your most recent case study, which I think had something to do with labs, right? And I'll put a link to BoxLock and I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and anything else I should put a link to. I think that'll get it done. That would be fantastic, Joe. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. And I really enjoyed talking to you again. Thank you so much. And again, I appreciate you giving us a little education. And again, this is this is an interesting topic because whenever I hear about this new vaccine, my first thought is, how is that going to be delivered? <laughs> so when I, when I talked to Andrew last week, I said, do you know how this vaccine supply chain works? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and of course, he's interested in talking about how his lock works too. So great stuff, Andrew. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 